This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Okay, so crazy news that just happened. So we had finished recording our last podcast and we were finishing on the segment about Elon and Musk and how he looked like he was getting ready to fire people. And we had reported on this podcast that two people had been let go. Well, as soon as we finished recording that podcast, CNBC retracts their statement saying, we cannot confirm if these people have actually been fired, okay? Right now, I got to read this to you all, okay? This is what they're saying now, okay? They're saying now, on, on Elon Musk's first day in control of Twitter, a person who walked out of the company's San Francisco headquarters and identified themselves as data engineer there said they were just laid off. CNB was not CNBC was not able to immediately verify the identity of the person and the other who made the similar claim. One employee at Twitter is awaiting information about layoffs or per, or projects, told CNBC they were in the dark for the most part. Musk was meeting with a relative low-ranking engineer managers, this person noted. A welcome gesture to some press reporters deal the uh, before the deal closed said that Musk had planned to cut 75% of workers. Okay. So the crazy thing too, is on this article that I had just reported in the podcast before. Okay. It showed the images of those people that were quote unquote, the engineers. And now those images are gone. Okay. I have to fix this right now, but that is just absolutely insane. That last podcast, we were talking about this. We were reporting on it. And now CNBC saying we can't confirm if these layoffs have actually happened. There's a chance this is a hoax in the making. This this photo op of these people being laid off. Okay, I don't know how this is all going to end in the end, but it's absolutely insane that this is happening. Okay, now onto the news that we have to cover on this podcast segment. Okay, first off, this is news from earlier in the week. Okay, it has to deal with the state of freight. There is a second railroad union votes down the labor deal needed to avoid a nationwide strike. And that should be a little bit worrisome going forward. Then let's get into a more lighter conversation. A more interesting one it has to do with the beer side of things. It says beer is on pace to lose its leading share of the U.S. alcohol market as spirit surge. Spirit drinks in particular. It's an interesting read to be able to talk about that a little bit into this segment of the podcast. And finally, we're going to end today's podcast by talking about Chevron and Exxon Mobil. Okay. Those companies reported earnings, and like we had mentioned, they crushed earnings, and now there's people not happy about it. And we'll get a little bit more into that about that later. So with that being said, as I have to remind you at the beginning of each podcast, I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. Everything I talk about on this podcast is for information purposes only. You need to do your own research before investing in any company as you're not guaranteed, guaranteed to make money when you invest in the stock market. You need to talk to your financial advisor as they understand your financial situation a lot better than I would. I legally cannot give you financial advice, and this podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research before investing in any company. With that being said, let's begin today's podcast. A second railroad union votes down labor deal needed to avoid nationwide strike. Now, this is being reported from Wednesday, okay? And I've been wanting to talk about this, but there's been so much news happening that I was like, okay... We're going to talk about this, and I've been holding it back for a bit, but now is the time to talk about it, okay? It says here, the Brotherhood of Railroad Sig uh, Signalmen is the second union to vote down the tentative agreement between rail unions, freight rail companies that the Biden administration that was reached on September 15th and critical to avoiding a nationwide rail strike. 
The BRS, which represents about 10,000 rail workers and is one of the last three unions at the bargaining table, overwhelmingly rejected the deal with 39.23 of members approving and 60.5% voting not to approve. Quote, for the first time that I can remember, the BRS members voted not to ratify a national agreement. And with the highest participation rate in BRS history, the BRS president, Michael Baldwin, in a statement, quote, I have expressed my disappointment throughout the process in the lack of good faith bargaining on the part of the NCC, the National Carriers Conference Committee, as well as the part of the PEB, Presidential Advisory Board, 250 played in denying BRS members the basic right of paid time off for illness. The NCC and the PED also failed to recognize the safety sensitive and highly stressful job BRS members performing each day to keep the railroad running and supply chain flowing. The rejection of the national tentative agreement begins a status quo period during which the union will uh, re-engage with the NCC until December 4th. A spokesperson for the Associated Americans Railroads tells CNBC parties have agreed to maintain the status quo so discussions and the next steps can progress. You know, I think personally, this is not good. They're rejecting this, right? Okay. And it says like, obviously, if the railroads go on strike, it will cost $2 billion per day. This is starting to become more and more clear that there's some industries potentially that need to, to move to more automation. And maybe that's where the rails are heading to next. Automation would help a lot in all seriousness, because if this... I mean, if this rail strike happens, you could potentially see prices of goods go up even more. And there's one commodity that will definitely go up in price. And we'll, like I said, we'll talk about the oil industry later, but it is the oil industry. Oil is being carried by truck and by rail right now and some pipelines that we probably still have in service. But for the most part, it's going by rail right now. Warren Buffett is making a killing in the rail industry right now because of having to export oil across the country. But if there becomes rail strikes, it's become, it's good. you're, you're going to feel at the gas pump potentially. Okay. At least that's what I'm thinking right now. I hope other people feel the same way, but it's hard to tell. But the fact that this is happening now says a lot of what is potentially coming if there is a strike in the making. Okay. On to the next article. Beer is on pace to lose its leading share of the U.S. alcohol market as spirits surge. Okay. From CNBC, beer is taking off. Le- is t- correction, beer is taking up less of the American booze market as beverage companies flood the market with buzzy new drink categories, including ready-to-drink cocktails. Even legacy beers companies have expanded outside of their staple beer production with innovation for spirit drinks. Anheuser-Busch, the world's largest brewer, has diversified its portfolio, including hard seltzers, canned wine, and canned cocktails. Wow, never thought I'd live in a world where I'd be saying those words. Uh, Molson Coors dropped the Brewing Co. from its name in 2019 to reflect a similar expansion into spirits. This week, Samuel Annan's maker, Boston Beer, debuted Loma Vista Tequila Soda, a ready-to-drink tequila cocktail in both lime and mango flavors. The lineup is launching in a handful of markets, including Austin, Texas, Fort Collins, Colorado, Wichita, Kansas, and Kansas City. Boston Beer is said its tequila cocktails sit at the crux of explosive growth of the RTD beverage segment and the rise in popularity of tequila. Discuss said that the top five spirits by revenue growth in 2021 were vodka at 4.9%, tequila at 30.1%, American whiskey at 6.7%, brandy at 13.1%, and cordials at 15.2%. Sorry, I don't know my drinks that well. I am not a drinker, so I'm 
it's it's, it's a foreign concept to me. Continuing on, says last year was the 12th consecutive year Spirits has taken away market share from the beer in the total U.S. alcohol beverage market, according to a report earlier this year from the Distilled Spirits Council, a national a national trade organization. The beer category, which includes hard seltzers, accounted for 42% of the U.S. beverage alcohol market in 2021, while spirits accounted for 41%, according to Discuss. Wine accounted for 16%. At this trajectory, spirits were pegged to overtake beer in the market share in the next few years, even though beer sales have grown. Spirit consumers are willing to spend a little extra for a fine spirit because they're choosing to better drink, uh, correction, choosing to drink better, not more. Discuss top spokesman. Spokeswoman Lisa Hawkins told CNBC this week, the downtrend, uh, correction, the downward trend of the beer market share has also been reflective on the online ordering and alcohol delivery platform Drizzly. Over the past 12 months, beer has been accounted for 14% share, a two percentage point drop from the previous 12 months, according to Liz uh, Paquette, head of consumer insights at Drizzly Spirits, accounted for 45% share, increasing by one percentage point. You know, the beer market, when I used to work at Target, I remember being told one day, they're like, oh yeah, we're expanding and we're going to start selling alcohol here at our stores. And we worked with a lot of, not like big, we, we had big name brands in that in Target, but we also worked with like local refineries or stuff like, or not refineries, local breweries as well. So, I mean, it's not surprising. I mean, we had one like section of the shelves dedicated to seltzers. So it's not surprising that this is on the rise. At least if you have worked in retail, you might've seen this a little bit here and there. But the younger people in particular, it's what I'm, I'm curious to know what's going to be the alcohol beverage of the future. That's like the big names, right? And I'm curious to know in the future, which of these companies starts pulling ahead. The market's shifting into seltzers. So we'll see who wins in the end. But if, I mean, people are still going to consume alcohol. And what's going to be even more interesting is if we are going to hit into that recession that we keep hearing about, that's going to tell us a lot about the alcohol industry overall. So we had to report this because we found this report interesting, but yeah, thought we'd share it. On to now the main topic that we wanted to be able to talk about is the oil and gas sector right now. Okay. First off, let's talk about Chevron. Chevron's 11.2 billion quarter profit soars past estimates. Okay. Chevron on Friday reported its second highest quarterly profit ever, blasting past analysis estimates driven by soaring global demand for its oil and gas and rising production from its U.S. oil fields. The surge comes as oil companies book mounting profits with prices near record levels and supplies tight on output cuts during the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as a market disruption from the war in Ukraine. Chevron posted a third quarter net profit of $11.2 billion, or $5.78 per share, almost double the $6.1 billion from the same period last year, and well ahead of Wall Street's estimates of $4.86. U.S. oil executives have been loath to crow about this year's earnings gains, surpassing the once-sizzling tech sector, preferring to emphasize investment commitments. But soaring profits are feeding criticism from consumer groups in the United States and Europe as inflation climbs. The company's cash flow for operations soared to a record $15.3 billion, far higher than the previous quarter. Chevron's return on capital employed, a measure of how much it earns from each dollar invested in the business, jumped to 25%. Oh, we can say right there, they're at least investing a little bit in their business. Continue on. Continuing on with the article, it says, quote, We delivered another quarter of 
Strong financial performance, Chevron Chief Executive Michael Rith said in the prepared statement, noting its oil and gas production is the top U.S. shale field reached, another quarterly record. Output from the U.S. premium basin tops 700,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day, up 12% from a year ago, and above the second quarter, 692,000 of barrels per day. But global production in the first nine months of the year is down about 100,000 barrels per day and and from the 3.093 million barrels per day from the same period last year. Overall, oil and gas production was roughly flat last quarter, factoring in the sale of some producing properties in Asia. Its oil and gas business posted an operating profit that surged 81% to $9.3 billion, while its oil refining business nearly doubled to $2.5 billion. Still, profit from refining cooled from the second quarter keeping overall earnings below the company's all-time record of $11.6 billion. Refineries process more than 13% fewer barrels per day from a year ago period, primarily due to planned maintenance, the company said. And then this is where things get even crazier, okay? So you have Chevron report that number, okay? Then you got Exxon, okay, who does this out of the park, okay? It says Exxon's record-smashing Q3 profit nearly matches Apple. Whoa! So you're telling me that they almost matched Apple. We just reported Apple's earnings yesterday. This is interesting. Let's get into this. From Yahoo Finance, okay? From Houston, Rudders. ExxonMobil Corp on Friday smashed expectations as soaring energy prices fueled a record-breaking quarterly profit nearly matching the tech giant Apple. Its $19.66 billion third quarter net profit far exceeded recently raised Wall Street forecasts as skyrocketing natural gas and high oil prices put in earnings within reach of Apple's $20.7 billion net for the same period. Dang, think about that. 20.7 from Apple and you have 19? Was it 19 we just read? Mm, yeah, 19.66. So they almost, that's like close to 40 billion right there. Even maybe a little bit higher than that. Continuing on, it says, as recently as 2013, Exxon ranked as the largest publicly traded US company by market value, a position now held by Apple. Exxon shares jumped 2% in pre-market trading to $109.80, a new record high. And I think at some points today, it hit like 110, 111, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember exactly. It was jumping all around, but it was it was moving today. Continuing on, the article says, oil company profits have soared this year as rising demand and the undersupplied energy market collide with Western sanctions against Russia over its invasion of Ukraine. U.S. exports of gas and oil to Europe have jumped and promised to set all prof, all-time profit records for the industry. The top U.S. oil producer reported a per-share profit of 4.68, exceeding Wall Street's estimate of $3.89 consensus view. On a huge jump in natural gas earnings, continued high oil prices and strong fuel sales. Quote, while others pulled back on the fence of uncertainty and a historic slowdown, retreating and retrenching, this company moved forward, continuing to invest, Chief Executive Darren Woods told investors. Its quarterly profits reflect the deep commitment as well as higher prices, he added. Exxon led record gains among oil majors in the second quarter and has leapfrogged Shell, which we reported in yesterday's podcast, and Total Energy's SE, with earnings almost twice as big from the continued bets on fossil fuels as competitors shift investment to renewables. Exxon banks $43 billion in the first nine months of the year, 19% more in the same period in 2008 when oils traded at a record level 140 per barrel. Let me read that one more time, okay? Exxon banked $43 billion in the first nine months of this year, 19% more than the same period of 
2008 when oil prices traded at a record level at 140 per barrel. Earnings from um, earnings from pumping oil and gas tripled last quarter, while profit from selling motor fuels ju- uh, jumped tenfold compared with a year ago levels. Natural gas sales to Europe are and soaring demand for diesel fuel led to the company's better than expected results. You know, I'm going to keep saying it over and over again. And, um, and I have to say this before I continue on with this podcast. I do have financial positions in Apple, Chevron, and Exxon. They're long-term positions, but I have to say that right now, okay? You know... ExxonMobil, I, I still, I'm still going to say this until I'm pretty much blue in the face, I guess. I remember, like I said, back in when COVID first started, I remember thinking, I was like, oil is going to be huge when COVID ends. And I didn't expect it to get this big. I was just expecting like, oh, the economy is going to have to recover. There's going to be a supply and demand issue, but I didn't think much about it. Okay. Now, what's interesting right now is if you look at Twitter's trends right now, okay, you're getting mixed reviews on ExxonMobil. You have some people who are like, dang, this is a good report from ExxonMobil. And then you got a lot of people who are saying, this is greedy Wall Street all over it, okay? Now, hold on. We got to think this for a moment. You know, these oil companies are making record profits, but yet Apple made a decent profit too, and yet no one's blinking an eye on Apple. Hmm, I wonder why. Oh yeah, that's right. Because you don't see the effects of Apple in everyday life. And you do at the pump every single day. You know, it's also interesting too. I did a little bit of research because reading some of those negative reviews on ExxonMobil where they're like, oh, they're price gouging at the pump. And I thought, okay, maybe they are. But at the same time, there was one that caught my eye where the guy said, you know, two years ago, Exxon wasn't even doing this. And I was like, wait, what is he talking about? And then I did remember that ExxonMobil didn't do so hot two years ago. In fact, the beautiful thing about the internet is you can look up earnings reports from the past. And if people were to do that, this would make a, the conversation a little bit more interesting. It says here, this is back from 2000 and hmm, wrong article. We need to talk about that later though. That's the wrong article too. Somewhere in here. Ah, here it is. This is this article is from 2021, February 2nd of 2021. Okay. It says here, ExxonMobil reports a 20 billion loss, fourth straight quarter in the red. This was less than a year ago, maybe a little bit over a year ago. Okay. It says here in the article from 2021, and this was for 2022, they were reporting earnings from. So it was like the last quarter, like December, if I'm not mistaken, from 2020. Okay. Said Exxon said Tuesday it lost 20.1 billion during the most recent quarter. Its fourth straight quarter of losses at the energy giant grapples with the pandemic impact on the industry. Exxon said it earned three cents per share, excluding items during the fourth quarter, which was ahead of the one cent profit analysis surveyed by Refinitiv expected. Revenue, however, came up short of expectations at 46.54 billion. The street consensus was at 48.76 billion. Oh, there's that one. And then there's this article from 2016 that says Exxon Mobil earnings badly miss expectations as profits sink 59%. This was in 2016. This was June, July 29th of 2016, actually. The article reads on this one says, Exxon Mobil reported its quarterly profit fell nearly 60% from a year ago as commodity prices remained low and its refining margins were weak. The world's largest traded integrated oil company earned 
1.7 billion or adjusted 41 cents per share in the second quarter compared to 4.2 billion or $1 per share in the year ago period. Analysis pulled by Thomas Rudders had expected earnings per share of 64 cents. The stock was 2.6% lower in pre-market trading. While other financial results reflected the voluntary industry environment, ExxonMobil remains focused on business fundamentals, cost, discipline, and advancing selective new investment across the value chain to extend our competitive advantage. This is from the former CEO, Rex Tillerson, said in a statement. And then, of course, revenue says revenues were at 57.694 billion versus 74.11 in the second quarter of 2015. Oh, yes, the fun times of oil companies are price gouging. Oh, here's the other thing too. Downstreams were down 680 million in 2016 from this article too. But hey, oh, here's the other thing too. Dividend distribution for the quarter total 3.1 billion in 2016. Okay. Do I need to give more information about when uh, ExxonMobil was not doing so hot? Oh, I do actually. I have one more. Okay. From 2013, October 31st, Exxon quarterly profit down, but output rises. Okay, so it's good to see that they were at least putting more output out there, okay? It says here, ExxonMobil, the world's largest publicly traded oil company, reported higher than expected quarterly results on Thursday as output rose for the first time in more than two years, but refining weakness hurt earnings. Exxon and other large oil companies struggled to boost production in recent years, have spent heavily on new projects in the first nine months of this year. Exxon alone spent $33 billion, okay? I don't ever again want to hear, and I will probably have to hear this again, okay? And you should probably share this with friends or family when you get a chance, okay? In 2013, Exxon spent $33 billion on new projects. $33 billion in 2013. That was under when I believe, was it President Obama was in office? Okay, that's pretty good. It takes time for these projects to get built. I mean, we've we've talked about it here on this podcast. It takes about five years to, three to five years to build an oil refinery in the Gulf of Mexico. And it takes about a year to build them on land, okay? Continuing on from the 2013 article, it says, this is the first year-over-year production increase in more than two years, said Brian Youngberg, an energy company analysis at Edward Jones in St. Louis. It does show that they are hopefully making some progress, stemming the decline that they've shown the last couple of months. Exxon last reported quarterly gains in product and production in the second quarter of 2011. Oil natural gas output rose 1.5% from a year earlier and 4 million barrels equivalent per day. Okay. There was one more thing that I think was on this article. Nope, that might have been everything to read. Oh, here it is. Oil companies with refining units such as Exxon and Royal Dutch Shell. Remember, we just reported that Royal Dutch Shell crushed earnings too. This is from the 2013 article that I'm reading, by the way. Have seen profit hurt in the quarter as demand for fuels like gasoline and diesel waned and global refining capacity grew. Okay. I don't ever, ever again want to hear politicians but we probably will say oh because they're not drilling enough Mm, no in 2013 they were doing this stuff i think you're seeing a combination of not only just like there's a supply and demand issue but i also think that all these projects that they were working on is finally paying off finally okay i mean even back in 2016 in an earnings call from Ray J Analysis. This was from April 29th of 2016. They were saying Exxon doesn't look like an oil company anymore. That was from Ray J Analysis. It said Exxon Mobil reported 
quarterly earnings and revenue that beat analysis expectations. But Raymond James analysis, Pavel, said the oil giant is unrecognizable state right now. Quote, this doesn't look very much like an oil company anymore. He told CNBC Squawk on the Street. 74% of their earnings came from chemical segment, which was far the highest level ever. In upstream, they actually lost money. Of course, oil was at $35 a barrel, so this was a, a trout quarter. But the reason I have been so negative on the stock is that the company is fundamentally poor positioned to benefit from an oil recovery. Hmm. An oil recovery from 2016. Interesting. Continuing on, it says, uh, from that same analysis, he says he has underperformed ratings on the stock. The company posted first quarter earnings of a share decline of 43 cents compared to $1.17 a share from a year per period. You know, one of these things... One of the reasons I enjoy doing this podcast is whenever I see complaints or news, especially with this podcast in particular, and when we're talking about earnings, especially the oil companies, you can literally Google what they did in the past and you're bound to find something. That's the beauty of the internet is you can find articles from the past and really get the true story of what's happening. Okay. Oil companies were not making money for the longest time. Okay. In fact, Exxon, like we just said two years ago, they were losing money. They lost money for four straight quarters. I remember that too, because I remember sitting at my desk at my job during 2020 before COVID officially kicked up. And I remember sitting there during my lunch break, looking at stocks. And I remember seeing ExxonMobil and ExxonMobil was trading at like, what, $38 a share at the time. Now it's at 110. I just remember thinking like, wow, I'll probably never see ExxonMobil this low in my lifetime. And so I made my moves. And now you have these politicians that are blaming oil companies for being greedy. But in reality, they were losing money a lot in 2020. And I wouldn't be surprised if the new C if the CEO, well, he's not really new, he's been there for a while, if the CEO of ExxonMobil decided to call out President Joe Biden again. Or any politician in general. That's what I would do. If I were an oil company or an executive and I heard a politician make a statement, I would start presenting facts to the American people or just people in general, just so that more information gets out there and there's not a lot of misleading information. I mean, you don't hear everyone complaining about Apple price gouging. They made $20 billion at least this last quarter and Exxon was pretty dang close to matching Apple. And yet you don't see them being like, oh, Apple's price gouging. No, it's because gas prices are up right now. And this is what everyone's talking about. And it's the midterm election coming up as well. This is what it boils down to in the end. Politicians are scrambling right now. ExxonMobil made moves in the past. And it's, it's somewhat, it looks like it's starting to benefit. They did lose a lot of money in the past as well. Now, granted, those are just some examples. There's probably way more we can look into of them making profits here and there in the past. And obviously they didn't make as much money back then. That's the beauty of the internet is you can look around and when you get new information, if you're open to it, you're willing to change your mind on things. But as of right now, oil is going to continue to be a huge area for investing. Okay. In fact, there was an article, and this is how I'll end today's podcast. There was an article to, that came out that said, is Exxon the new Fang? If Wall Street believes Exxon is the new Fang stocks you can almost bet the oil company's stock is going to soar. Now, financial advice, because there was a chart today that came out that said, that showed Exxon and Facebook and their uh, market cap or something along those lines. And it showed Exxon's was surpassing Facebook because Facebook has been crushed, okay? 
not financial advice, like I said, but if literally if Wall Street thinks Exxon is the new thing in the making, you can expect oil companies to start rising like crazy. And that's where that's where all the money, that's where all the institutional investing money might eventually go to. So not financial advice, like I said, just an observation and my thoughts currently right now. So I'll leave it there. With that being said, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope you have enjoyed it. If you had, please like and subscribe to this podcast. Every like and subscription helps grow this podcast. So we'll be able to keep talking about events that are happening on Wall Street that Wall Street isn't always willing to be able to talk about at this time. Please also continue to share with friends or family so we get the word out there what's happening in the market and be able to keep having these conversations going. With that being said, fellow podcast listeners, thank you so much for listening to this podcast today. Thank you and goodbye.